All right. Well, praise the Lord. We're going to get started. Uh, this is Impact Wednesday night, and I've got a message that I'm going to preach twice this week, so I'm just going to get ready for it. Amen. Uh, before we start, I want to tell you that I titled this Christian Generosity. I titled it that for a very specific reason. Not going to get into all the details of the reasoning, but in modern day America, it is being a part of a church is kind of you're kind of committed to it or you're kind of not and or you're somewhere in between. We don't really have a whole lot of people who are thoroughly committed to being members of the church. I mean, we have people, we do have handfuls in each church that seem to be totally committed. Amen. And then we have others who maybe just take being a part of the church for granted. And we've talked about church membership here over the last month or two. We talked about why it's important. We talked about prayer. We talked about why it's important. And tonight I'm talking about Christian generosity because I'm going to get to uh, the issue at hand in all of these situations. Every situation that we've spoke about, church membership, it's a hard issue. Church uh, attendance, it's a hard issue. Um, church uh, participation, it's a hard issue. Prayer, it's a hard issue, right? Where we're setting other things up as more important as prayer or as church attendance or as church membership. There's always things that are more important. There's always things that seemingly get in the way, right? And I realize we live in a different society than the apostles did. Hence, we're not going to church every day. Hence, we're not breaking bread every day. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, I realize that we live in a different culture. But I refuse to believe that we live in a culture that says, I don't need church. I refuse to believe that that's what Christianity has come to. I refuse to believe that we live in a culture that says church membership isn't important. I refuse to believe that from the biblical account. We cannot teach that. Amen? I refuse to teach that uh, participation and actually being a part of what God's local church, the local church you're attending, you're a member at. I refuse to believe that participation in that is voluntary. I think if you're part of a local church, it needs to be important to you to be involved with what the church is doing. And I can show you in Scripture where they met daily, where they were working together. They loved one another. They worked for the benefit and the good of other people in the church. Can I get an amen? This reality, and Josh told me I said amen too much, so I might try not to do it tonight. But we also talked about that in prayer, how prayer is something that Christians today seem to think that is optional. But it's not. Prayer is a vital part of our Christian life. Amen? I did it already. <clears throat> prayer 
is a vital part of our Christian life. Are you writing down how many times I say amen? Okay. <laughs> Prayer is a vital part of our Christian existence, and I refuse to teach like it's some option that we can either opt into or opt out of at our own discretion, especially when Jesus said that men ought to always pray and not faint. When Paul tells the Thessalonians, or uh, is it Thessal Thessalonians or Titus? Might have been Titus. That you ought to pray always. Pray without ceasing, right? Isn't that in Titus? Is it Thessalonians? Might be. One of them too. It's Titus or Thessalonians, one of them T's, okay? I'll say okay instead of amen. <clears throat> now tonight we're talking about Christian generosity. And I'm sorry if church membership is important, if church attendance is important, if church participation is important, if prayer in the church is important, and praying for one another in church is important. Where is it? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. 5, Got it. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Now, if all these other things about church are important, giving is important. Having a giving heart is important. Having a generous spirit as a Christian is important. But I believe there's a heart issue, just like with all these other things where church membership isn't important, where church attendance isn't important, where church participation isn't important, where prayer at church isn't important, where praying for one another isn't important, where fellowship isn't important to modern-day Christians. Giving is not important to them either. It can't be given the fact that none of these other things are important. Why would they? Why would they think that it's important? Now, I want to preach this message in love. And I want to preach this message with compassion. But I want to preach this message urging you to be involved in your local church. I have preached for months now about church membership about fellowship with the saints, about how these things are necessary for our walk in Christ. Amen? Now, tonight we're going to go through this, and I'm going to start with generosity or Christian generosity being a heart issue. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Okay? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Lay not up for yourself treasure on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, everything in our life that's important to us, we invest in. Everything. Everything that's important to us as people, we invest in, don't we? 
Our kids are important. We invest in them. We spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on class rings. We'll spend, you know, thousands of dollars a, a, a year on football equipment and baseball equipment and any other equipment we need for them to go call, play golf at school or whatever it is, or go to dances. We'll pay uh, hundreds of dollars a month for television. We'll pay hundreds of dollars a month for cell phones. We'll pay in, in, enormous amounts on luxury and recreation. We'll buy sea dues and motorcycles and all sorts of worldly things. But when we come to the house of God, we feel like, well, I don't really have any left to give, so I might give five bucks. And that's when I show up and think church is important that week. This is reality that we live in in modern America where church is not important to be a member. It's not important to go. It's definitely not important to be involved. And it's definitely not important to be in fellowship with other believers. So... I'm going to give the least amount that I can. And people go, well, them pastors, all they talk about is tithe and tithe this and tithe that. Ain't that tithes from the Old Testament? Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have Old Testament 10% or would you rather have what Jesus said, take all that you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and follow me? You see, it doesn't get easier in the New Testament. The New Testament requires everything you got and not just a portion. Yet Christians live under this idea that the church can operate without, but it can't. The realization of modern church is this. Churches have land they have to pay for. Churches have lights they have to turn on. Churches have water they have to pay for. Churches have uh, expenses like insurance and, 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 and all kinds of trash service, gas. All these things have to be paid for. That's before we ever help anybody. That's before, that's just for the normal, everyday operation of the church where we're here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and when Tuesday night and Wednesday night. That's all that goes for that. That's before we physically go out to the community and help other people, which we do all the time. But their idea is, well, this isn't really important to me. Because, look, I, I love people and I, I love that people have other things that they're interested in and things that they want to do, guess what? Preachers aren't any different. We like doing things. We love going and taking our wives out to a nice nutcracker show that's way too expensive. $120 a ticket. Whew. We love doing stuff with our best friends. We love taking our friends out to eat or inviting them over or going to do things or having picnics. We love doing all that stuff. There's all kinds of things that we want to do. 
And the normal Christian does those things. But the committed Christian does those things and supports the work of God at the same time. That is normal Christianity. You don't believe me? Let me get my Bible out a little more here. This is a hard issue where people today do not find the things of God important. They are serving two masters. And we know that in Matthew chapter 6, if you just stay in Matthew 6, okay, and you go just to verse 24, he says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon doesn't just mean money. It means things. It means this world's goods. Can't serve this world's goods and God. And as much as I love people and I want to believe that people have all the best intentions, what I'm telling you tonight from what I see as a pastor is that people are in love with things. And not in love with helping God or doing God's work or being about their father's business or doing the things that we see modeled in the Christian church in the New Testament. This is not what we see. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This is what a heart change looks like. This is what it looks like when a Christian is born again and they're on fire for God and they love God and they've died to their self and they've died to their own wants and they've died to their own desires. This is what it looks like. Chapter 19, verse 8 of Luke. If I'm right, yeah, 19, not 18, Kevin. 19, verse 8, here we go. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore it to him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Wow. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Zacchaeus had robbed and had used his authority to take from others. And when Zacchaeus met face to face with Jesus Christ... It changed him so much that he said, half of my goods right now that I have. And Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. He said, half of my goods right now I sell and I give to the poor. And if I've robbed anybody, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. That's what a Christian heart looks like. That's what a heart that says, I don't need this world's goods as much as I need Christ. I, I don't need 
this world's things as much as I need God and this salvation that is brought through Jesus Christ. I want to turn real quick to Luke chapter 12. I had not intended to do this, but we'll do it anyway. Jesus is being asked some questions here. And I want to, let's, let's start at verse 27 so we can have context, okay? Because this is a very familiar passage of scripture, but I want you to get what Jesus is saying. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, yet I say unto you that Solomon, on all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of all those things. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now watch this. He just said, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And what is his next words out of his mouth? Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourself bags with which or with which wax not old, a treasure in heaven that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupt. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let your loins be girt about, and your lights burning. And ye yourself like men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding. That when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. This is the heart of someone who has been born again, that has not put stock in worldly goods, that is not holding on to their treasure so much that it matters more to them than the things of God. Because this is a heart issue where the people of God who name the name of Jesus are so captured and captivated by worldly things, by, by things that are seemingly gratifying to the flesh for right now. But when it comes to church, being a part of God's church that they're supposed to be a part of, that they say they're a part of, the church that they call when they lose a loved one, the church that they call when they're in trouble and need prayer, the church that they call when they're down on their luck and they need help with their uh, light bill or their insurance or, or they're trapped in, in Oklahoma and need a ride or they need anything, they call. But they only call when they need help and they're not willing to be involved and not willing to to give and not willing to participate, not willing to be a member, not willing to do those things. There's a heart issue. There's a heart issue. So as I preach tonight, I'm not preaching to you with condemnation. I'm preaching to you with love. Salvation did not come to Zacchaeus's house because he gave. That is not the moral of the story. 
The moral of the story is because of his heart change, because of what happened in Zacchaeus' heart, his desires changed. And now his desires was to bless other people and to please God. His treasure was not on earth. His treasure on earth, he was now readily ready to part with it. Because now his treasure and his desire and his desires were set for heavenly things. Namely, he trusted Christ in faith. And his affections were set on things above. As it's said in Colossians chapter 1 or chapter 3. That's where we're going next. Colossians chapter 3 and Colossians is right after Philippians in your Bible so we're going to go to Colossians chapter 3 and we're going to read about seven verses here I'm not going to spend a whole lot a whole long time digesting this for you we're just going to read it and let the Bible speak for itself Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 if ye then been risen with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye shall also appear with him. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, uh, inordinance, uh, inordinate affections, evil comp uh, compulsions, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things the the sake for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, and in the which you are also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now, but now. Also put off all these. Amen. This is the point of the born again experience. To get your eyes off of this world. Off of these desires that are of the world. And to set your affections on him. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. And that's exactly what did not happen to the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. Just a chapter before Zacchaeus. So if you will, we're going to read just a portion of Luke 18. The story of the rich young ruler is in 18, 18 through 25. But I want to read verse 22 to 25. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet thou lackest one thing, sell all that thou hast. And distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter in the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. You see, all the TV preachers, all the, 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 the new, new age, new hope, 
different gospel, non-biblical preachers will tell you that it's all about health, wealth, and prosperity. But Jesus is telling us unequivocally not to set our affections on the things of this world. Not to be so engrossed with money that we cannot give it away. Not to be so engrossed with this world's goods that it's more important than doing God's will and loving people and being generous to the things of God. And this rich young ruler did not have the heart change that Zacchaeus had. He walked away sorrowful. We already read Luke 20, uh, 12 verse 33 where he tells us unequivocally to sell all we have and give it to the poor. This is, this is over and over and over in scripture. In demonstration of following Christ, Christians are to do this. We are to give to, we are to give to and to love even our enemies and those who mistreat us. Matthew chapter 5 verse 38 through 48. You can read it on your own where he says, bless those that curse you. Do good to them who speak evil of you. When someone slaps you on the cheek, offer him the other also. If somebody compels you to go a mile, go two miles. If someone sues you at law for your coat, give them your shirt too. Give to every man that asks of you. That you may be called children of your Father in heaven. Do you see, a generous heart is part of a Christian's makeup. It should be the very thing that we're noted by. Paul tells the Galatians or the Corinthians, I can't remember which one, that he hoped that their kindness would be known among all men. Why? Because being generous as Christians should be in our DNA. This includes giving money to those who hate us and, and giving and helping those who persecute us. This is part of what Christians are to do in demonstration that they follow Christ. Number two thing that Christians are supposed to do in demonstration of following Christ. We are supposed to give and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. James chapter 2. Turn to James really quickly. I want to turn to this one, uh, this one and the last one here. James, that's right after Hebrews. James chapter 2. And I'm going to read verse 15 and 16. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man saith he have faith and have not works? Can that faith save him? That's verse 14, excuse me. Verse 15, if a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith without works is dead, being alone. Go ahead and flip over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. 
But whosoever hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up the bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John 13, and we're going to read verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And we just read in 1 John where he says, if you say you love your brother and shut up the bowels of compassion, how dwells the love of God in you? Matter of fact, John goes further later on in 1 John where he says, if you say you love God and hate your brother, the truth is not in you. You're a liar. You see, love is an action. Go with me to Galatians chapter 10. I should have warned everybody we were going to do a whole lot of Bible gymnastics here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them which are of the household of God. This is absolutely unequivocally a command in Scripture. We are to love our enemies, do good to them, to give, be generous to even our enemies, and we're to do it especially to the household of God. The church from the beginning took up a collection. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to make a, a quick peruse through the book of Acts and we're going to close. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And we've preached at nauseam that verse, have we not? Verse 43 and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their goods and they parted them out to all men as every man had need. This is the very beginning of the church taking up, taking up a collection to do the work of the ministry, to take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan. Go with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to see this collection again being used. We're going to go to verse 32 of chapter 4. And the multitude of them who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that they ought of those things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the great grace unto all them. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the prices to the things 
that were sold, and they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and they distributed the and distribute. Distribution was made unto every man according to as he had need. I want to stop right there. Now we see them continuing the process of taking up a collection to give and to do the work of the ministry. Now you'll go, Pastor, are you telling us we need to sell everything we have? No, I'm not telling you to sell everything you have. The rich young ruler did not have to sell everything he had. He just had to have a heart that was willing to part with these world's goods. He had to have a heart that was willing to go all the way with God and to be willing to give up anything to follow Christ and to do the work of Christ. But we don't have that heart. We don't have people willing to do that. We have people that would rather hold on to their 20 bucks and buy cigarettes. I know I'm stomping on some toes here. They'd rather take their 20 bucks and go waste it on lottery tickets or they'd rather go waste it on whatever else that pleases their flesh rather than to put $20 in an offering plate. To honor God, to love the brethren, to help those in need, to help this church that they attend, that they call on when they need help. And it isn't just this church. It's all over. Because this is epidemic in American Christianity where this is optional. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6, or 5, excuse me. And we're not going to read it, okay? We're not going to read it. But this is Ananias and Sapphira. They lied about their gift. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 All they had to do was sell the land and whatever they determined. They should have brought it to the church and said, hey, look, this is we we sold our possessions and we're giving the church half. We're giving the church a third. We're giving the church two thirds. That's all they had to do. All they had to do was be honest. But they lied and they sold their house and kept a portion back. But they told the church, we're giving everything. And their sin was so grievous that God struck them dead. We sure don't think that way about the New Testament church, do we? We don't think that God looks at our lies and our withholdings from him, our holding back from him. We don't look at it serious like they did. We don't look at it as serious as God obviously did because the Holy Spirit struck Sapphira down and then uh, or struck Ananias down and then Sapphira was brought in and she had an option to tell the truth and she lied too and the Holy Spirit struck her dead how much trouble would we be in in the modern church if God was to truly enact that kind of punishment for lying to the church and for acting as if we are giving everything when we are truly not Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily ministration. Now we see that the gifts that were laid at the apostles' feet 
daily were being given to the widows who, now, if you know anything about the Bible, you can go and read Titus, that you had to qualify to be a, a widow that got this money, that got this gift from the church. They were much more strict on who got church money than we are. But this money was given by those who loved God and wanted the church's mission to succeed. They had a daily ministry to the widows with this money. Paul did the most fundraising that we can see in scripture. He raised money for the Jerusalem church and that mission takes nearly the last half of the book of Acts. He goes from church to church to church to raise money for the church in Jerusalem who are going through a famine. You can see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 10. You can go read about how the Macedonian church had gave and how Paul had great expectations of the, the Corinthian church to give. Let's actually, let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want to read just a few excerpts from this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Starting at verse 12. Well, I'll read verse 4. Because verse 4, there's a statement there that's made that we need to hear. Pray for us much, entreating that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this is just after he bears record that the Macedonian church had gave and was willing to give. Now watch verse 12. For if there, is, if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to man that a man hath and not according to what he hath not. For I mean not that other men be at ease and ye be burdened. Now he's talking to the Corinthians. He's talking to them about giving. He's telling them, hey, when you give, I'm not trying to burden you where you're putting yourself out. He said, but I'm asking you to help the brothers and sisters in, in Jerusalem because they're going through a famine and there's people dying and there's people hungry. There's people starving and we need to do the work that God gave us to do. Now I'm not trying to put you out. And if I was going to say anything in this message tonight, when I'm preaching about Christian generosity, I'm not trying to put anybody out. I'm not trying to take food off your table. I'm just trying to get you to reappropriate what's important in your life. To stop doing things so earthly minded where you're only focused on fleshly desires and you start going, you know what? Our church needs our help. Our ministry at this church is important to me, and I want to give towards it. I want to support it. Amen. I want to tell you what, when you keep reading this, and you get into chapter 9, starting at verse 5, Paul says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before you, uh, Go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Wherefore ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. But this I say. Now Paul's just said, look, I'm sending people ahead of me. They're going to collect all this stuff. And I know that this is your bounty. 
And I'm not trying to collect it for, for my bounty but, or for covetousness, but this is to help the church. And then he says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according to as he's purposed in his heart, let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. I'll have you know what this doesn't say. If you give, you're going to get rich. It says... If you give sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. This is a fundamental gardening principle. If you only plant three or four uh, rows of corn, you're only going to reap three or four rows of corn. But if you sow a lot of corn, if you sow a whole field full of corn, you're getting a whole field full of corn. What you sow, you reap. This is fundamentally true and it's not saying that you're going to get money gave back to you you may be you may be getting graces and mercies from god that you didn't even know about you may be getting a uh, favor with other men you may be getting grace towards your own children or grace from your children god may be blessing you in ways that you cannot fathom but this is not a proof text for God making you rich. But it is a proof text that Paul is urging these Christians who he is trying to get to support the church in Jerusalem. He's asking them to give generously. Why this message? Why tonight? Why this message? Why right now? This church, like all churches, runs off of generous donations of believers. I don't say this with judgment. I don't say this in condemnation. But we have few supporting a great many where a great many should be involved in the giving. I say this in love. I say this to make this request in love. I love this church. I want to see this church grow. I want to see this church thrive for generation after generation. For that to happen, we, the saints at Agape Fellowship Church, must be committed to giving and supporting our local church. We need members giving. We need members encouraging other people to come. We need uh, members to be a part of this church and a part of this church's growth. Christian generosity is to do good to all men, but especially the household of God, the household of faith. I am imploring, exhorting, begging, pleading with the members of Agape Fellowship Church to put to pour yourself in to being a member, an involved, active member of this church. It's not just a good idea. 
It's not just uh, biblical. It's not just a command of scripture, but it is absolutely necessary and vital for the work of this church to continue. Period. So as I preach this tonight, I'm giving fair warning that I'm preaching this Sunday. They might not show up, but I tell you what, if they don't show up because they listened to this video, then they heard what they needed to hear. Because I love this church and I have gave, I have given my life over to making sure this church succeeds. I have, I'm committed 100%. And I don't think that it's irrational to expect members of this church to be 100% committed. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the challenging message tonight. Lord, we thank you that none of us are perfect and none of us are actually given 100%. That we all have areas that we could work on, that we all have areas in which we could and should and must do better. God, I pray that anybody that listened tonight doesn't hear condemnation, they don't hear me getting loud and boisterous and, and think that I'm angry, God, because I am not. I have poured myself out to you in prayer morning after morning, night after night over this church, the people that come to this church, the mission of this church, the, the purpose for this church, God. And I am going to continue to seek you day and night, morning and evening, God. And I'm going to continue to pray for these people, God, that they catch a vision of what it means to be a member of a church, to be a part of the body, to be involved, to be intimately in fellowship with other believers as Scripture teaches. God, I pray that they heard me when I said I'm not telling everybody here that they have to sell all their things but that they need to be committed to what you would have them do in this place, God. That if they are a member or they are coming and they're not a member, that they would become a member. And that those who are members, God, would be active members, God, and that they would be involved and that they would be sold out to the vision and the purpose at this church, God, for your kingdom that is not our vision for this church is not some new fancy vision, God, but what the scriptures tell us that we should be doing. God, help everyone that comes here to have that vision. Help me to articulate it. Help Kyle to articulate it in a very meaningful way, God, that they will see, know, understand, and want to participate in. God, we lay ourselves at your feet. And we ask for your mercy. We beg for your grace and your unending favor and love, God. Help us as a church. Help me as a pastor. Help Kyle as an elder, God, as associate pastor. Help him, God. Help us. Help the board members of this church. 
Help the members of this church, God. Help those who come and attend, God, to be involved. To lay aside lazy, apathetic faith, God, that seemingly doesn't want to be involved, God. I pray that you would forgive us where we've fallen short. Strengthen us and encourage us and empower us to do what you're calling us to do. That you would receive all the glory. That you would receive all the honor. That Christ would be lifted up and the kingdom of God advanced in this place. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.